NPR. Right at the top of Montana is a stretch of land bigger than Delaware. It's the Blackfeet Reservation, and it's bordered by the Rocky Mountains shooting up on one side and wide open plains on the other. And it's there that Irvin Carlson lived on his grandparents' cattle ranch in the 1950s and 60s. I grew up ranching. It taught me um, to work hard, to be able to work hard and, and for a living and work ethics. It was a good way of growing up. But across the reservation, across Blackfeet Nation, work was scarce. I didn't see a whole lot of jobs. There was a lot of unemployment here, not a lot of opportunity for all of our people here. And new evidence has found that the persistently high unemployment in Blackfeet Nation is particularly severe among Indigenous nations that once relied on one animal. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Darian Woods. Today on the show, the devastating story the numbers tell us about the people once reliant on bison. This message comes from NPR sponsor Arctic Wolf. Their researchers have released the Arctic Wolf Lab's 2024 threat report. Why will 2024 be a volatile year for cybersecurity? Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Babson College. The world needs entrepreneurial leaders, and you can become one at Babson College. Gain the skills to lead, motivate, and inspire through a specialized master's or MBA program with full-time, part-time, and online options. Turn ideas into action with a graduate program that caters to your professional needs and fits your lifestyle. Ranked number one in entrepreneurship by U.S. News and World Report. Apply now at babson.edu slash gradprograms. Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. Don Fair is an economist at University of Victoria in Canada. And a few years ago, Don was working with a couple of other economists on a research project that involved trying to estimate how well-off Indigenous North Americans were in the 19th century. But economic data was pretty hard to come by for that time. One measure of economic well-being, perhaps a proxy for income, was how tall people were back then. We knew about this data that was collected in a very um, ambitious initiative by Franz Boas, who's a famous physical anthropologist, on the biological like height of about 15,000 Native Americans across North America. So we, uh, we found it, the data, and acquired it. And when we started to do the analysis, that's when we saw major declines in height, right? So that is when it started to really hit us that this was a, a disaster. The disaster was the loss of bison, for over 10,000 years, many peoples in what's now known as North America had relied on bison. 30 million of the creatures stretched from Canada all the way down to Mexico. And to people like Evan Carlson's ancestors, the bison, or the American buffalo, were family. It was a part of their way of life. Buffalo were, they were everything to us. Well, actually, our economy, buffalo was our lodging, our clothing, our food, tools, Parts of our ceremonies, that's how we survived, was on Buffalo and with Buffalo. 
And when Don Fair looked at that height data, they saw that the people who hunted bison had a massive height advantage in the 19th century. They're among the tallest people in the world, taller than Europeans or other indigenous groups who weren't reliant on bison. About two centimeters on average uh, taller. About an inch. About an inch taller than their yeah. European counterparts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, no, no. They, they, these were <laughs> very tall people. That height was because of good nutrition in their childhoods. But those advantages started to slip dramatically in the 1870s. In 1871, there was a change in European tanning technology that all of a sudden made bison hides commercially viable in Europe when they hadn't actually been before. So this change in technology created, I mean, you might have heard of a gold rush. Well, this created a hide rush. And uh, settler hide hunters flooded to the Great Plains, uh, Rocky Mountain regions, where the bison were in the thousands and slaughtered the bison in the millions. There's really horrific stories, and I'm sure many people have seen classic images of um, settlers standing next to a pile of bison skulls, far taller, three times taller than they were. And in some areas of the country, there was more violence. Uh, So you, you might know the Indian Wars. But once the U.S. military realized what was happening to the nations when they were losing the bison, uh, the American military started to participate in its slaughter as well. And then it became an intentional destruction. So depending on the region, we went from millions of bison to virtually none or a few hundred within 5, 10, or 20 years. So this is a very dramatic change. Livelihoods for nations like the Blackfeet vanished. Some communities had to eat their horses. They ate rotting food. Some even ate old clothing. And other economic options were limited. I mean, for one thing, the U.S. government restricted Indigenous peoples' movement well into the early 20th century. And getting bank loans to start a business, well, that was challenging. And Don could see this in the health data. There was increased child mortality, signs of maternal distress... People born after the slaughter and during the slaughter started to be much shorter than their uh, ancestors who had relied on the bison. And in fact, by the end of the slaughter, the indigenous people who had been at least like an inch taller actually lost their entire height advantage. The U.S. government would end up providing food and other support and encouraged nations like the Blackfeet to get into farming. The nations themselves also collected bison bones to sell for fertilizer. But Don and their co-authors found that these initiatives didn't bring bison-reliant people back to where they were economically compared with other indigenous groups. When we started to do the analysis, that's when we saw the major declines in height, right? So that is when it started to really, really hit us that this was a a disaster. (laughs) I mean, you know it's a disaster, right? It's a near extinction of a brilliant creature that societies relied on. That beyond that, you could actually just see in the data the impact it was having on Indigenous people. And once we saw that, we knew that we had to tell the story because the data wouldn't deny it. And beyond that, we were able to show all the way until today, statistically controlling for many other factors, Bison nations today, their income is at least 25% lower than that of all other indigenous nations in the U.S. You saw how this could reverberate to today, and that seems like an extraordinary Mm -hmm. finding. You know, it's actually not. Many economists have actually started to show that the distribution of economic activity today doesn't rely on modern fundamentals only. So history can impact the development of regions, right? So many economists have showed this in other contexts. Features that were important for economic development historically, like, you know, for example, like water routes for trade, 
right? Those have an impact on where cities form. Even though you no longer use much of the time anyway, the water and transportation like we used to, they can still shape passive development through agglomeration, right? If people are there already, more people are going to go. I guess that's why I'm in New York is because of an agglomeration <laughs> that once was driven by the ports and, and the Erie Canal that no longer is as important. Exactly. And again, you're not New York isn't going anywhere just because their importance declined over time. So there's something similar going on here. But what we're talking about is actually the loss of a resource. It influenced desirability of people both to go to these regions. So if there was very little economic activity happening, other people wouldn't necessarily go there to trade because what are you going to trade, right? It didn't have to be this way, but it has history has played out such that this shock has persisted. But it didn't have to. If you had access to other resources to re-specialize your economies like access to banks, you might have been able to recover. Don and their co-authors find that nations that had more banks near their territories fared better. They were able to borrow and invest in, say, new factories. If you imagine that all of a sudden all the oil and gas resources just vanished and you made people in Texas stay in Texas and then you took away a few of the banks, what do you think would happen over time to Texas and the people there? Back in Blackfeet Reservation, there's hope for the future. Irvin's been working to bring back bison. They have a herd of about 800 that are mostly fenced in. It's a big thing with us nowadays, and even helping economically, of them helping take care of us in a new way as they did in our beginning. Earlier this year, Irvin helped with an effort to release bison to roam freely in the mountains. That was the greatest success. That meant a lot to me. It was a very moving time for a lot of our people that were there after so many years. Seeing that released back onto their homelands was very, very emotional and very welcomed. This episode was produced by Brittany Cronin with engineering by Robert Rodriguez. It was fact-checked by Sarah Juarez. Kate and Cannon edits the show, and The Indicator is a production of NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, hosts Lizanne Saunders, Schwab's chief investment strategist, and Kathy Jones, Schwab's chief fixed income strategist, along with their guests, analyze economic developments and bring context to conversations around stocks, fixed income, the economy, and more. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. What does it mean to be black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as black experiences, you'll hear. It means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.